You may be seated. Merry Christmas, everyone. Happy New Year, all that good stuff. You know, sometimes a pastor feels a little bit obligated around Christmas time to preach on some sort of Christmassy topic. And uh, so this morning, I'll just say this is a little bit Christmassy, okay? A little bit. Um, now, this morning, I'm gonna ask, I've, I've preached like this before and kind of warned you. Turn your thinking caps back on today. I know everyone's probably partying and having a good time yesterday and maybe stayed up late and was eating all kinds of stuff. Now, I need you. This is church now. Tune all the partying stuff out. We're going to look at the Word of God, and we got to dig in a little bit. And if you dig into the Word of God a little bit, lo and behold, sometimes you can pull something up out of there, and it helps you to understand things. I always say if you study the Word of God and you just keep studying and studying, sooner or later little pieces of the puzzle start falling into place and then you start to see the overall picture of what God is trying to say to us. You know, the Bible is God's letter to mankind. It's, it's things He's trying to say to us. So it's good to dive into it, see what He's saying to us. And this morning is something like that. Um, if you've ever looked or studied through your Bible any a lot of times um, you have to understand something in the Old Testament and then when you get to it in the New Testament, it gives you a greater understanding. So that's kind of what we have to do today. We have to jump back and forth, Old Testament, New Testament, back to the Old, back to the New, but it will help us to understand something in the New Testament because you know we're under the New Testament right now. That's why the Old Testament is called the Old Testament, because it's the old one. But the Old Testament is there for us still to help us greater understand the New Testament. Okay? Jeez, after a mouthful and I haven't even started preaching yet, so you know you're in for it. Uh, I wonder if I can get uh, a bottle of water. Will you, will you bring one, please? Thank you. Um, again, this is a little bit Christmassy, so here we go. In the Old Testament times, okay, it was the priest that did the sacrificing, okay? It was a, a priest. It wasn't just anyone. Not any old regular average Joe could come and do a sacrifice. It had to be a consecrated priest. And this priest had to be a, from the tribe of Levi or a descendant of the tribe of Levi. If you remember, Levi was one of Jacob's 12 sons. And for some reason, God chose them to carry out all of the priestly duties, the, the Levites, okay? Moses and Aaron, thank you very much, I appreciate it. Moses and Aaron, if you remember, Moses is a pretty uh, key figure in the Old Testament, and his older brother Aaron, they were descendants of the tribes of, of, of Levi. So they were Levites, okay? So in Exodus, I've talked about Exodus a lot preaching, if you heard me much. Exodus, where God rescues the children of Israel out of Egypt, the bondage for 430 years. He takes them out. And then if you remember at Mount Sinai, he gives them the, the law. He gives them the Ten Commandments and then all kinds of other laws. And then God establishes what's called the Levitical priesthood. Okay, we're, we're going to read it really quickly. Okay, Exodus chapter 28, verse 1. Now remember, I said you got to turn your thinking caps on. it. If you tune out and start daydreaming, and for a few minutes and then try to jump back in, you're going to be lost. So try to stick with me this morning. 
There's a lot of, little bit of background information. Okay, Exodus 28 verse 1 says this. And take thou unto thee Aaron thy brother. This is God talking to Moses. Take thou unto thee Aaron thy brother and his sons with him from among the children of Israel, that he may minister unto me in the priest's office, even Aaron, Nadab, Abihu, Eleazar, and Ithmar, Aaron's sons. Verse 2 says, And thou shalt make holy garments for Aaron thy brother for glory and for beauty. 3 says, And thou shalt speak unto all that are wise-hearted, whom I have filled with the spirit of wisdom, that they may make Aaron's garments to consecrate him, that he may minister unto me in the priest's office. Okay, so this is God, and he's saying, Hey, Moses, I want you to take Aaron, your brother, and then all of his sons. What God is doing is he's instituting Aaron as the first high priest of the nation of Israel. He is a Levite. They're descendants of the Levites, Moses and Aaron. And God's saying, Aaron, your brother, is the first high priest. He's establishing this Levitical priesthood here at Mount Sinai as he brought them out of Egypt. Okay? He's saying, make all these special garments, and I want Aaron and his sons and the descendants after him, they are consecrated. That just means kind of set apart for sacred purposes. See, these Levites were different than all the other tribes. The Levites, they were the ones that had to do all the priestly duties, all the tabernacle duties. If you remember, I preached about the the Ark of the Covenant months ago. It was the Levites that had to carry it. No one else could. It was just the Levites. Okay, it was just the Levites only that were allowed to be priests. Just, just God's system. Okay, this God's rules. So Aaron, Moses' older brother, was the first high priest of the nation of Israel. Okay, there was the position of high priest. That was Aaron. And then there were priests, priests underneath him. It was all Aaron's sons. Okay, they did some lesser duties. Now, they were held to very strict guidelines. They had to dress uh, a specific way in those holy garments. They had to do these rituals exactly as God said. Not just anyone could say, hey, I, I committed a sin, so I'm going to come sacrifice a lamb and get forgiveness for it. Nope, nope, nope. They had a specific system that God instituted His way. Had to be done His way. Now, if you read through the book of Leviticus, it, it talks about all the different types of sacrifices. Uh, there's, there's burnt offerings there's peace offerings. There's trespass offerings. There's all kind of different offerings that they did back in those days in the Old Testament. They're, you can read about them on your own in the book of Leviticus. It talks about all those different offerings, and they're all described in the book of Leviticus, which is the Levites. They were the ones that had to do all that stuff. Okay? You following along? Sort of? <laughs> we ain't even got that deep into it yet. Okay, so it, it was, we're just trying to establish a fact. It was the priest's duty to do all those ceremonial offerings, all the ceremonial sacrifices. It was the priest's, and the priest had to be a Levite. Really, I'm saying a lot, but that's all we're trying to establish is that God is instituting this Levitical priesthood. Okay? Leviticus, listen, Leviticus 1.5. We're going to f- further prove the point. Um, chapter 1, verse 5. It says, and he shall kill the bullock before the Lord, and the priests, listen to who says, has to do it, and the priests, Aaron's sons, shall bring the blood and sprinkle the blood round about upon the altar 
that is by the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. Verse 6 says, And he shall flay the burnt offerings and cut it into pieces, and the sons of Aaron, the priest, shall put fire upon the altar and lay the wood in order upon the fire. Verse 8 says, And the priests, Aaron's son, shall lay the parts, the head, the fat, in order upon the wood so that it is on the fire which is upon the altar. Now you can keep reading, and it actually keeps on saying, And the priests, Aaron, Aaron's sons. So this is just establishing further our fact that not just anyone could go make these sacrifices. It was only who God designated. It was only who God consecrated. And God consecrated for his reasons, whatever they are, the tribe of Levi and the priest and the high priest were only to be from that lineage. Okay, So we see clearly that it's the duty of the priests to pre- present the sacrificial lamb. This is very important. Very important that you remember that, okay? Levi, or excuse me, Leviticus chapter 2 verse 1 says this. And when any will offer a meat offering unto the Lord, his offering shall be of fine flour, and he shall pour upon oil upon it and put frankincense thereon. Verse 2 says, And he shall bring it to Aaron's sons, the priests, and he shall take thereout his handful of the flour thereof, the oil thereof, and all the frankincense thereof, and the priest shall burn the memorial of it upon the altar. It shall be an offering made by fire of a sweet savor unto the Lord. And the remnant of the meat offering shall be Aaron's and his sons. It is a thing most holy of the offerings of the Lord made by fire. So this just further confirms everything. God says, here's how I want this done. I'm clearly telling you how to do it. Do it my way. That I am instituting this. This is not mankind's institution. Church isn't man's institution. It's all God's institution. We must do it His way. And this is the Old Testament way. God says, I want these people to do it. They're consecrated to me. They have to be from this lineage. They have to be the priests. They've got to do it this way. We've got to wear these garments. Not just anyone can do it. Okay? Now, you can read more about that in the Old Testament if you want to, but that, that's enough uh, for our purposes today. We're not going to beat a dead horse. Okay? We've established that fact. Levitical priest, a Levite, descendant of a Levite, has to make the sacrifice. Okay? This is kind of called the sacrificial Old Testament system. Okay? So think in terms of Old Testament for now. Okay? It was the priest's duty to present the sacrifice to the Lord. That's the Lord's design. Wearing a certain clothing, living a strict lifestyle, they had to do it God's way, okay? Or, there are instances where it would cost them their life. If, if the priest did something wrong and just went into the most holy place, the Holy of Holies, on the wrong day, if, he, if his garments were all not right, it could, would strike him dead. That's how strict these rules were, okay? So, with all that in mind now, we're going to still stick in the Old Testament. Does anyone remember King Saul? Remember what King Saul did? He, he, made, he was the first king of Israel. Israel wasn't really supposed to have a king, but they wanted one. God warned them, and they still wanted one, so God said, okay. And King Saul was the man, the first actual king of the nation of Israel, and he made a big old mess. Uh, now, if you remember what he did, the, the Philistines... If you read all through the Old Testament, the Philistines were like the number one enemy of the Israelites, constantly battling back and forth. Sometimes the Israelites win, sometimes the Philistines would win. Well, King Saul was in a predicament. The Philistines had gathered all around him, 
and he was starting to get worried, okay? And at the time, the, the prophet's name was Samuel, okay? It's all, this is in the, the book of Samuel. So we're going to read 1 Samuel chapter 13, verse 5. I know we're jumping around, but this will all tie together, okay? Just bear with me. It says, And the Philistines gathered themselves together to fight with Israel, 30,000 chariots, 6,000 horsemen, and people as the sand which is on the seashore in multitude, and they came up and pitched in Mishmash, eastward from Beth Haven. Verse 6 says, When the men of Israel saw that, they were in a strait, for the people were distressed. Then the people did hide themselves in caves and in thickets, in rocks, and in high places, and in pits. So here these Philistines gather, and they got a big old army, chariots and people as numerous as the sand of the sea. And King Saul looking around, and all of his men take off, and they hide in caves and that because they see they're, they're about to get tore up. So Saul, the king, he springs into action, okay? He, he makes a sacrifice unto God because he, he wants God's blessing because if these people come to fight, they're going to destroy him. So he's going to sacrifice to God and say, Lord, have mercy on us, protect us, give us the victory. So really, he, he intends to do well. But if you look back at biblical history, Saul is not a Levite. He, he's not a priest. He's a king. If you look back, Saul's dad's name was Kish. And the Bible clearly tells us Kish was from the tribe of Benjamin, not Levi. Well, here's Saul. We just established the fact moments ago that God said, I want someone from the tribe of Levi. Only the priests, only them. I want them to do the sacrifices. So Saul, not from the tribe of Levi. He's from Benjamin. But here Saul is going to make this sacrifice to God. Well, he's supposed to, you remember the story, he's supposed to wait on Samuel. Okay, Samuel, the one ordained to do those things, he's supposed to do it. Listen to this, 1 Samuel chapter 10, verse 8 says, And thou shalt go down before me to Gilgal. This is Samuel speaking. Thou shalt go down before me to Gilgal, and behold, I will come down unto you to offer burnt offerings and to sacrifice sacrifices of peace offerings. Seven days shall you wait till I come to thee and show thee what thou shalt do. So that was what Samuel said to Saul. He said, Saul, travel over here, wait seven days, and I'll catch up to you, and I will offer the peace offerings, the burnt offerings. God will speak, and then I'll let you know what he says. That's what Saul was supposed to do. Well, in the meantime, Saul's waiting there in Gilgal, and he's looking around, and these people are just gathering all around, and he starts saying, man, I, I don't know, this doesn't look so good. So Saul jumps into action and it actually costs him dearly. Listen, 1 Samuel 13, verse 10. And remember, as we read these, remember who's supposed to be giving the sacrifices. Someone ordained a priest from the tribe of Levi. This is all going to make sense later. 1 Samuel chapter 13, verse 10 says, And it came to pass that as soon as he had made an end of the offering, the burnt offering, behold, Samuel came. And Saul went out to meet him, that he might salute him. And Samuel said, What have you done? And Saul said, Because I saw that the people were scattered from me, and that thou came not within the days appointed, and that the Philistines gathered themselves together at Mishmash. 
Therefore said I, the Philistines will come down now upon me to Gilgal, and I have not made supplication unto the Lord. Saul says, I forced myself therefore and offered a burnt offering. And Samuel said, man, you have done foolishly. Thou hast not kept the commandment of the Lord thy God, which he commanded thee. For now would the Lord have established your kingdom upon Israel forever. But now the kingdom shall not continue. The Lord hath sought him a man after his own heart. And the Lord has commanded him to be captain over his people, because thou hast not kept that which the Lord commanded thee. Brothers and sisters, it's real important to obey the command of God. It's real important. We don't look, take his word and then say, well... Let's compromise a little bit, or let's change it a little bit, or let's redefine these certain terms. No, it is what it is. It's either you accept it or you completely reject it. Saul was not supposed to make that. God said, I want a Levite to do it. I want a priest to do it. They're the ones that I've consecrated to do it. And Saul, from the tribe of Benjamin, gets scared and worried. You could maybe say, well, his sin was being impatient. Well, it was. But also, his sin was, you have not done things the way that the Lord commanded. He said a priest, he said a Levite, you're not, and you did it, that's not what I said to do. And he ended up, you can read the rest of King Saul, things don't go well for King Saul, most of you know that. He loses the kingdom, lots of his family and sons die. It doesn't go good for him, because he stays on that trajectory actually, and never really uh, turns from his ways. So we see that it's really important to do things the way God commands. The priests were to give the sacrifices, not just anyone, not just anyone. That was God's rules. It's just God's rules. It's the way he said it. Okay, let's, let's fast forward to the New Testament now. Everything we've talked about has been Old Testament. Now we're going to go to the New Testament. We have this man named Jesus, you know, that preachers and pastors are always talking about that Christian people are always talking about. We have this man named Jesus who's supposed to be the ultimate sacrifice for sins. Okay, in the Old Testament we have goats and bulls and all that Old Testament sacrificial system. But in the New Testament we have a man named Jesus. Hmm. The book of Revelation refers to Jesus many, many times as the Lamb of God. If you were part of our study which we did, took over a year we did on Sunday evenings, you will have heard those scriptures many times. Uh, John the Reveler writes, you know, and behold, I saw a, a lamb as it had been slain. They refer to Jesus as the lamb of God. What is the lamb? The lambs represents the sacrifice. Okay, so here's Jesus, supposed to be this sacrifice, that's the lamb that is a sacrifice to God to satisfy sins forever. Okay, listen to 1 John chapter 2. Verse 2, and it says, and he is, it's talking about Christ Jesus now, and Jesus is the propitiation. That's just a fancy word for appeasement or something that satisfies or atones. And Jesus is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. So the Bible clearly in the New Testament establishes the fact that Jesus is the sacrificial lamb of God that atones He's the propitiation. He, he makes good. He solves the problem of sins, not only for us, but for the sins of the whole world. Okay, that's what that scripture's saying. Jesus was the final sacrifice of all sacrifices to sin. The New Testament telling us that because of this man, Jesus, you no longer have to sacrifice the bulls and the goats. It actually 
says that whole system can go away now. That whole Old Testament system can wax old now because we have this man, Jesus. Hebrews actually tells us, if you can study through some of this on your own, that after Jesus, it says there is no more sacrifice for sins. There, there is nothing beyond Jesus. There is no need for even anything beyond Jesus. You know, it even says in Hebrews that the, the Old Testament really is just a shadow of things to come. So everything in the Old Testament is telling about the New Testament. It's a shadow, a foreshadowing of everything that will come in the New Testament. Listen to Hebrews chapter 10, verse 1. It says, for the law... Now, when I say for the law, think of all the commandments God gave in the Old Testament, in Exodus and in Deuteronomy. For the law... Think of the Old Testament sacrificial system we've been talking about. For the law, having a shadow of good things to come, and not the very image of the things, can never, with those sacrifices which they offered year by year, continually make the comers thereunto perfect. For then they would not have ceased to be offered, because that the worshippers, once purged, should have had no more conscience of sin. But in those sacrifices, there is a remembrance again made of sins every year. It even says, for it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats should take away sins. The, the Bible even refers to the New Testament as a better covenant than the Old Testament. The, the Old Testament was not the fix-all problem. It was a temporary thing. God was saying, I'm going to set this up so that when the real thing comes, you'll be able to see that it is the real and true thing. It's just a foreshadowing of the New Testament. Listen, Hebrews 8, verse 13, I read this weeks ago, even goes so far as to say this about the Old Testament. It says, In that he saith, a new covenant, he hath made the first old now that which decayeth and waxeth old, waxeth old is ready to vanish away. So it's saying, that's why you call the Old Testament old, because it's old. There's a new one. You're under a new one. Everyone in this room here this morning, we're not under the Old Testament anymore. We're under the New Testament. The Old Testament's called old because it's the old one. It was not meant to be the forever fix to the problem of sin. Okay? Now, now bear with me. You know, this will start tying together soon. Now, here in the New Testament, we have this man named Jesus claiming to be this final solution to the problem of sin. You know, we don't have to be in this Old Testament system anymore. And here, here's about Jesus. Hebrew chapter 10 verse 11 says, And every priest stands daily ministering and offering oftentimes the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. Verse 12 says, But this man, talking about Jesus, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God. It's saying, man, the, the priests, the, the, the Levitical priests, they offer these sacrifices over and over and over, year after year after year. They do these rituals year after year after year. But then along came Jesus, he sacrificed himself, satisfied sin forever, and sat down on the right hand of God. Okay? Now, this brings me to the point that I'm trying to make today here at Christmas time. Listen, if Jesus was the final sacrifice to God for the sins of the world, wouldn't he, by God's own rules, wouldn't he have had to have been presented 
by a Levitical priest? If Jesus is the lamb, shouldn't a Levitical priest have presented Jesus as the sacrifice? Those are God's own rules. That's the way that God said it has to be. Jesus is supposed to be this final sacrifice to God for the sins of the world, and it was God's own law that a priest, only a priest, only a real, genuine priest from the tribe of Levi, only they could present the sacrifice. Only them. Not just, remember how it went with Saul, right? He, He was a king, but God said, you're not a Levite. A Levite can make the sacrifice. Well, here's Jesus, the sacrifice. Who's going to present him? Who's going to offer him up? Well, the bad thing is that for Jesus, that the Sadducees of Jesus' day, the Sadducees, we hear all the time, you read through the Gospels, you'll see the Pharisees, you'll see the Sadducees. The Sadducees were the actual Levitical priests of that time. Okay, they, they were the priests. They were the ones. Well, the tough thing for Jesus is the Sadducees hated Jesus. Jesus is going to have a real hard time saying, hey, I'm the Lamb of God. I need, I need you to present me because it's God's rule that a Levite presents a sacrifice. And well, the, the Sadducees hated Jesus. They actually de- they caused him a lot of problems. You can read through all the problems. Every time he would try to go do something, there they would be trying to question him, trying to trip him up. They actually denied the resurrection even. They couldn't stand Jesus. So we're in a predicament here. If Jesus is the real, authentic Christ, Lamb of God, he has to, by God's own rules, he has to have a Levite present him as the Lamb of God. Okay? Well, strangely enough, there was someone that presented Jesus to the world. There was someone that made the way for Jesus. You might know him as John the Baptist. Yohanan was his real name. We know him as John, John the Baptist. If you remember, the first time John the Baptist, remember he used to baptize people in the Jordan River uh, for remission of sins. He's baptizing people, and here comes Jesus to be baptized. What did John shout when he saw Jesus for the first time? Behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. So, So here we have this Yohanan, some strange dude from the wilderness that wore weird clothes and ate weird things. He, he's trying to present Jesus. Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. It was and When he said that, it was an announcement to the world. It was a proclamation to the world. He said, hey world, here he is. Here's the sacrifice. Here's the Lamb of God. This strange guy. Coming out of the wilderness, baptizing people. There, there used to be crowds of people that would gather around John the Baptist because they thought it was so strange. They'd never seen anyone like him before. He's baptizing people. They would come out and he would say, what are you guys here to see? So this strange fella, Yohanan, John the Baptist. Let's, let's learn just a little bit about him. Luke chapter 3 verse 2. Annas, it says this, Annas and Caiaphas, being the high priests... The word of God came unto John, the son of Zacharias, in the wilderness. Verse 3 says, And he came into all the country about Jordan, preaching the baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. 
Verse 4 says, As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah, the prophet saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. So this strange Yohanan fella that we know as John the Baptist, he is fulfilling prophetic scripture from Isaiah. He's preparing the way. He's making the way. So you could even say he is the one preparing Christ. This is the sacrifice for the remission of sins to the world. This man named John the Baptist presenting Jesus as the sacrifice to God for the sins of the world. John goes on to say, all flesh will see the salvation of God. John goes on to say, make his way straight. Make his path clear. Clear the way. Here he comes. Uh, clear the way. Everyone move out of the way. Jesus is coming. And he needs presented to the world. He needs presented to God. Make his way straight. Listen to Luke chapter 3 verse 15. A little bit more about John the Baptist. It says, And as the people were in expectation, all men mused in their hearts about John the Baptist, whether he were the Christ or not. Verse 16, John answered, saying unto them, I indeed baptize you with water, but one mightier than I comes, the latchet of whose shoes I am not worthy to unloose. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. So these people were gathering around John, seeing him baptizing people and saying, man, you need to repent of your sins. And they were being baptized. And they're gathering around and they're saying, is this the Christ? And John the Baptist suspects this and he says, nope, I'm here to prepare the way for the one who is mightier than I who comes after me. That's what John the Baptist was doing. So John the Baptist is clearly the one making the presentation of Messiah. But remember, brothers and sisters, according to God's own rules, for Christ to be legitimate, it has to be done by a priest. Not just some strange dude from the wilderness. The priest had to be from the tribe of Levi. So who in the world was this Yohanan, this John the Baptist? Well, actually a couple weeks ago, if you were here on a Sunday evening, uh, Les did a fantastic little teaching on Zacharias and Elizabeth, Yohanan's parents, okay? That's who his mom and dad was, Zacharias and Elizabeth. Elizabeth, his mother, was barren, okay? Zacharias was this priest, and he would go into the temple, and he would do these priestly duties. One day, an angel shows up and says, your wife's going to have a child. Zacharias is thinking to himself, man, we're old and I don't see that happening. Well, he's struck dumb, meaning the angel says, okay, until then, you won't be able to speak. doesn't mean he was a dumb person. It means he just could not speak. And from then until his son was born, he couldn't speak. Okay? They thought, they all thought the son's name would be Zacharias, like his dad. It was very customary in those days. But his father, they brought him a tablet. And his father wrote on there. They were all saying, oh, his name's going to be Zacharias, right? Yeah, yeah, his name is Zacharias. They give him this tablet. Zacharias, the dad, the priest, he writes on there, his name is Yohanan, John. Immediately his tongue's loosed. He begins to pray and he begins to prophesy. The dad of John the Baptist. We need to understand what he prophesied. Because he actually prophesies over his son, this little baby, he prophesies and he says this, Luke chapter 1, verse 76. 
Zacharias says and prophesies over his son, listen to this, and thou, child, shall be called the prophet of the highest, for thou shalt go before the face of the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation unto his people by the remission of their sins, through the tender mercy of our God, whereby the day spring from on high hath visited us, to give light unto them that sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. And the child, talking about John the Baptist, grew and waxed strong in spirit and was in the desert till the day of his showing unto Israel. So Zacharias, the priest, prophesies over his son, this little baby. He writes on a tablet, his name is Yohanan. And then he begins to say, you're going to prepare the way of the Lord. You're going to present the, the Messiah as the sacrificial lamb to God. And then he go, they take the baby, he goes to the wilderness, and he just feeds off God. And he begins to grow in spirit until the day he comes out and begins his ministry, starts baptizing people. So there's no question, no argument. That John the Baptist is the one to go before the Messiah and present him as the sacrificial lamb of God for the remission of sins. Okay, but he better be according to God's own rules because if not, then I got a problem with it. He had better be a legitimate descendant from the tribe of Levi. Okay, so what are Yohanan's bloodlines? What are John the Baptist's blood? Who is this fella? Luke chapter 1, verse 5. Now, I hope that all this starts tying together now. Remember how at the beginning we clearly established only a Levite can present the sacrifice. Remember, we even went through King Saul, who wasn't, he was from tribe of Ben, and things went real bad for him. So, this John the Baptist, we better find some good things out about him, or else maybe Jesus isn't who he said he was. Luke chapter 1, verse 5 says, there was, in the days of Herod, the king of Judea, a certain priest named Zacharias of the course of Abia, and his wife was of the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. Huh. So, so we see that John the Baptist's mom, Elizabeth, is in fact a descendant of Aaron. Who's Aaron? The first Levitical high priest of the nation of Israel. So Elizabeth, his mother, is a descendant of the Levites. Well, that's good. Half of John the Baptist is authentic Levite. Half of John the Baptist is legit. So we're halfway there. What about his dad, Zacharias? If you saw in that scripture I just read, it said he's from the house of Abia. Now, sometimes the New Testament spells names a little bit different than the Old Testament. Actually, I just read one moments ago with Isaiah. They kind of spell Isaiah differently. Well, the house of Abia is a different way of saying that Zechariah is a descendant of a man named Abijah. Okay? Not Elijah, Abijah. Well, who in the world's Abijah? Okay? Who is he? Well, if we go back to King David's day, I told you we would be flipped up, and I warned you we'd be going Old Testament, New Testament, Old Testament, New Testament. I know we're flip-flopping back and forth, but we got to get to the bottom of this and figure it out. Back in King David's day, he was a, a king right after Saul, a, a person or two right after King Saul who messed it all up. King David divides the descendants of Aaron into different groups, into 24 lots. Okay, I'm going to read 1 Chronicles chapter 24, verse 1, and I'm going to read this in the 
New American Standard, okay? I know I use King James most of the time, but sometimes I, the Old Testament can be tricky how it words things. And for clarity, I'm going to read it in New, New American Standard, NAS. It says, Now the divisions of the descendants of Aaron were these. The sons of Aaron's were Nadab, Abihu, Eleazar, and Ithamar. But Nadab and Abihu died before their fathers and had no sons. Nadab and Abihu were bad news. They were doing bad things, and the Lord struck them down. So Aaron's other sons, we'll pick back up, says, So Eleazar and Ithamar served as priests. Verse 3 says, David with Zadok, the sons of Eleazar and Ahimelech, the sons of Ithmar, divided them according to their offices for their ministry. So David is just kind of dividing up this lineage of Aaron, of his sons, Eleazar and Ithamar, and he's just kind of categorizing them into different groups. Okay, He's going to divide them into lots through the descendants of Aaron's sons, Eleazar and Ithamar. These are legitimate Levites. Okay, I hope you're sticking with me. Now, let's skip to 1 Chronicles 24, verse 5. It says, So they were divided by lot, the one as the other, for they were officers of the sanctuary and officers of God, both from the descendants of Eleazar and the descendants of Ithamar. Verse 6 says, Shemiah, the son of Nathaniel, the scribe from the Levites, recorded them in the presence of the king, the leaders, Zadok the priest, Ahimelech, the sons of Abathar, and the heads of the father's households and the priests and the Levites. One father's household taken for Eleazar and one taken for Ithamar. Now, I know that's lots of different names. You're probably thinking, what in the world? Who are all these people? We're just going to divide them into lots now. First Chronicles 24, verse 7, and bear with me on some of these names. Here's the division of the Levites, okay? And the priests it says, Now the first lot came out for Jehorarib, the second for Jediah, the third for Harim, the fourth for Seorim, the fifth for Malchijah, the sixth for Majamin, the seventh for Hakaz, and the eighth for Abijah. Who's that Abijah? He's a great, 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 great grandpa of Zacharias. So there it is. Abijah is a priest descended from the sons of Aaron of the house of Abia from the Levites. Now let's tie all this together now. I hope you didn't tune out. You're going to be saying, what in the world is the point of all this? We tie it all together. It means that Yohanan, John the Baptist, is a pure-blood priest descended from the Levitical priesthood on both sides of his parents. On his dad's side, he's de descended from the house of Abia, which David divided up is from Abijah. He's directly a great-great-great relative to Aaron, the first high priest. And on his mother's side, Elizabeth, she's from the sons of Aaron. They are both Lev Levites. John the Baptist is a Levite. John the Baptist qualifies he qualifies as the pure blood priest that can offer the sacrifice of all sacrifices for the redemption of the world listen john the baptist is the qualified priest that introduces jesus christ the messiah to the world as the spotless lamb 
Jesus is offered by an authentical Levitical priest which legitimizes Christ as the true Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. Merry Christmas, brothers and sisters. Jesus is who he says he is. It all checks out. This substantiates Jesus Christ. This substantiates all the claims that he made. Do you realize, brothers and sisters, what this ultimately means? It substantiates Jesus Christ as the Lamb of God, the Messiah. He was the plan from the very beginning. I hope you realize that. You know, I've met a lot of church folks over the years who they think wrong about Jesus. They think that Jesus is God's reaction to a sin-filled world that went wrong. You know, here God put us, put Adam and Eve in the garden. Everything was supposed to be hunky-dory, and it went bad. And God's up there going, oh, man, it, it went bad. I didn't expect that. What should I do? Well, I'll send Jesus down there to fix it all. That is not the right way to think of Jesus or to think of the whole plan of salvation, to think of creation at all. God, you have to understand, God is in the past, God is in the present, and God is in the future. He is outside of time. So when God created mankind, He could see the beginning from the end. He could see the end from the beginning. He knew what in the world was going to happen down here on this planet. Why did God do it all then? To demonstrate his love towards humanity. Jesus was the plan from day one. God says, I'm going to create mankind. They're going to make a mess out of things. But I'm going to find the ultimate way to show them that I love them. And I'm going to provide a way for them to be saved, to come dwell with me forever. Jesus was the plan from the... He is not a reaction. He's a plan. Listen, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 19 says this, But with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you. Brothers and sisters, the whole story of the Bible is God telling us how much He loves us. Is God demonstrating how much He loves us. That, that's what the whole thing is all about. And I, I, I've said this over and over and over. God is so methodical that it's beyond us. That's why if you really start studying in the Bible, you will find that there is nothing random about God. He doesn't just pick things whimsically. He doesn't just say, well, just, let me just plug this in over here so it'll solve that problem. Everything that God does is methodical. It is well thought out. It is planned. It's going according to the way He has set it up. He already knows the end from the beginning. God loves us, and this was His plan. And we see that if you put this book, this, this strange book called the Bible, if you grab it and you put it underneath of a microscope, even if you try to dethrone Jesus and you, you even sit from a, a pessimistic stance and say, I'm going to disprove Christ. You know people have done that and they end up getting saved. Because you can't. You can't. There's a tremendous book out that you can read that a guy tried that 
And he ended up getting saved because he could not disprove it. The, the more you put it underneath of a microscope and you say, oh, wait a minute. I, if, if John the Baptist isn't from the Levites, if he's not a real priest, then, then Jesus is dethroned. But you put it under a microscope and you walk away and you're like, well, he got me on that one. Maybe I better listen when he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I hope you understood that this morning. I know it's a mouthful. I know we jumped around a lot. But I love putting the Bible under a microscope. I love putting the Bible to the test. And it stands up over time. No, no one's been able to disprove it. It is inerrant. It is the word of God from him to us to enrich us and to teach us things. Now, I'm going to close in prayer. We lost most of our band. Some of them were even sick and went home, weren't feeling so great. So we're going to do without a closing song like we usually do. We'll close in prayer, but remember this, church. If there's anyone that is not saved, needs to be saved, come and find me after the service. Text me, call me, something like that. I'll be more than happy to talk with you. This is my favorite subject. I always tell you, the Bible is my favorite subject. I love it. It's not a burden to me. We can talk with these things. I'll pray with you the whole nine yards. Other than that, let's close in prayer. Lord, we love you this morning. We do, Lord. And God, I love to put the Word of God underneath of a microscope. And Lord, I love to see what it does. Lord, it proves itself true every time. It stands up every time. And Lord, that confirms to me that it was inspired by the Holy Spirit. It's just not some men that wrote this many years ago. It is inspired by the Holy Spirit that the holy men were moved by the Holy Spirit to write what they wrote. Lord, I love the Word, and I pray that that uh, permeates everyone here at New Hope this morning, that they have a love for Your Word, that they have a hunger and a thirst for righteousness, Lord. And God, we see that You are substantiated because John the Baptist was a Levitical priest descended from the sons of Aaron, and Lord, that You were the sacrificial lamb of God to sacrifice for the lamb that for all sins of all eternity, Lord. And beyond you, there is no more sacrifice for sins. Lord, we thank you for what you sacrificed for us. Thank you for descending from heaven to earth for us, Lord. Here at Christmas time, we love you, Lord. We give you all the glory. In Jesus' precious and wonderful name, amen and amen.